Welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast, a show about discovering the true human potential. Let's dive deep into physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. I'm your host, Thomas Worm. As you remember that time you were a lead saw in the shot crew and the saw just quit working and you were a few miles from the trucks? Next thing you know, you're hiking down the mountain and all the way down to the trucks and you had to pull out the field kit for a chainsaw surgery. I know, I've been there. The whole crew is waiting on you and your stomach's just turning with this anxious feeling of like, I gotta get back, right? You started with the basics, a quick chain sharpen, filter cleaning, check the spark plug, there's nothing obvious, so you dumped out the fuel, noticed it was clear, like, oh shit. You put a different fuel in, tried to start it, but the pull cord wouldn't even pull. The engine seized. As you pulled out the piston tool and tore down the chainsaw out of the foundation, you remember seeing a hot ember go into the filter. Your stomach turns even more, knowing that your crew needs you up on the hill. But it's important to have all the saws running, right? And the spare was already down for maintenance. After taking out the piston, it was easy to see the piston had a chunk missing, and all you had to do was swap it out for a new piston. You learned that this was no easy feat in the field, right? You got back to work and kicked some ash for the rest of the day. If your mind is like a chainsaw, then all you need is the right tool to fix the foundation. That tool is the breakthrough session because your subconscious mind is what ignites your life with action. The mechanics of that ignition are your beliefs, values, and emotions. When you release anger, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt, it's like getting a rebuild from the inside out. The breakthrough session is leadership because when you lead yourself before you lead others, they'll follow, right? So go to Mountain Mind Tricks and click on the Discovery Session button. Find a time, fill out the form. The Discovery Session is a free chat about where you are and where you want to be, so go to mountainmindtricks.com and sign up for a discovery session. That's mountainmindtricks.com. When you listen to the Sacred Ancestry podcast, you're supporting wildland firefighters and their mental health journey. So thank you and I appreciate you. Please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast so I can become the best podcaster I can be. You can become a Patreon, which means donating $10 a month will get you two free rollers of essential oils or $50 a month, and that's one free coaching session per month. So I want you to subscribe and leave a review so I can become the best podcaster possible. Thank you, and I appreciate you. Welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast, and I'm so excited to have my guest here today, uh, Cody Snodgrass, and he's a wildland firefighter. and and has done some structure and getting into wildland. And I just wanted to talk about leadership today with Cody. And can you introduce yourself and kind of tell us how you got into fire and, and what you've been doing and what you're doing now? Yeah, definitely. Uh, how's it going, guys? Uh, hope you all are doing, doing good out there. Um, so I got into fire in 2010. I actually got on a structure department, uh, just wanting to run EMS. Didn't want anything to do with fire just strictly EMT, wanted to get my paramedic. Uh, once I got on the department, I got my first taste of fire. And from that point on, I was hooked. I mean, uh, I knew where I wanted to go at that point. And so I started pursuing uh, different uh, fire-related courses. Um, 
was able to get my uh, wildland firefighter certs. Um, I've been mostly doing structure since then. Uh, this year um, was my first year getting on with a state uh, uh, forestry with Nevada as a wildland firefighter. And so I'm really, really excited to see where this goes. Uh, last year was, it was a pretty good season. Um, COVID did kind of take a toll on the state allowing us to respond out of state. And so we were pretty, uh, pretty localized from where we were at, but yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good season and I'm uh, looking forward into uh, furthering my abilities in the wildland aspect. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And so I'm curious on uh, what was going from structure to wildland fire like? I mean, what were some of the things you noticed or like how different that is, or maybe they're more similar? Um, you know, that's one thing is, you know, everyone has their own opinions, you know, structure is more dangerous or wildland fire is more dangerous. And, you know, I can't really say that one or the other is more dangerous. They both have their own um, characteristics, I guess what you can call it to them. Um, so going from structure into a wildland setting, um, it was a lot different, um, you know, because you're, you've got a lot more um, natural elements to fire to deal with, you know, your weather, your wind, your temperatures, humidities, uh, different things like that. So it's kind of, kind of interesting getting to switch over from the structure side of things where you're more concerned about um, your building construction type, uh, sprinkler systems, different things like that. And so switching over was, wasn't too difficult. I mean, it's basically the same concepts with the wet stuff on the red stuff, or in my line of work, hand crew, you're just digging trench lines, uh, hot spotting, cutting line. Um, but I mean, I transferred over pretty good. I mean, uh, going through the fire courses, it was, you know, the same tactics with, you know, safety, you know, you gotta make sure you have your communications, your lookouts, uh, different things like that, so. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so uh, did you stay in Nevada mostly this summer or did you guys get to go out at all? We did. We were not able to uh, leave the state um, per our uh, uh, state fire warden. Um, she kept us in state this year, which was kind of a bummer because, you know, we're usually going over to California to help out and they, they had some major fires this year. I think it was one of the first giga fires uh, in, you know, however many years. So it was, it was kind of a bummer that we got limited to that. So but yeah, we, we stayed in state this year. Yeah. And I mean, Nevada had some pretty good fires. I mean, even gosh, I think a month ago, there was stuff going on in Reno still. It's just, just crazy. This fire season was so interesting. And, and so what are some of the, like the qualities of a wildland firefighter that you picked up? And, and I know you're, you're getting into leadership and things like that. Like, tell us more. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with the crew I'm on with uh, NDF, we run an inmate crew. Um, so definitely having those leadership skills and qualities were a must um, because you, we were running our crews under our crew boss. Um, so having to, um, you know, uh, finding out your crew's abilities, um, make sure that they had full knowledge of what was happening, that their, their abilities were able to um, meet your requirements on the fire line. And so with leadership on that, that's who they're looking up to. They're looking up to the guy that knows everything in their eyes. You know, these guys, they might've fought fire, you know, a season or two ago, or they could be brand new. Um, so with them, 
they definitely look to us, the crew supervisors and crew bosses as the leadership. And so we definitely had to make sure that our, you know, our game was on point um, by, you know, we were doing trainings uh, when COVID first happened, the state put us all at home to work. And so for those first couple months, that's all we were doing was refreshers online, going through more training, making sure our skills and abilities were able to, we were able to perform with our crews that were, you know, basically just learning coming into fire. Right, right. And yeah, leadership's so important in that, you know, those guys are looking up to you and, and like you said, really meeting them where they are, you know, maybe it's their first season or second season or even fifth mm-hmm. season, right? But it's really, you know, leading those people from where they're at, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And like I said, they're, you're their go-to guy. They don't know, you know, they know the tactics, but they don't know, you know, the deeper stuff, the instant command system, all that stuff. So um, we needed to make sure that, you know, we we're on point with our leadership, such as, you know, our communication, um, the crews knew what we expected of them, uh, made sure that they knew, you know, what the um, tasks were at hand. Uh, we kept them all in line. Um, we didn't have any problems. Um, we usually don't have any problems with uh, these inmate crews. They're, they're pretty spot on. Once they, uh, once they get to work, they know, they know what they're doing, but they definitely uh, look up to us as, um, you know, role models and leaders. So, because in their eyes, you know, we're the professionals, we know what we're supposed to know what we're doing. And so, you know, just making sure that the crew morale and um, just the strength of the entire crew together, um, so that way we could work as one unit and not have any uh, ongoing issues such as, you know, freelancing, basically, Um, just keeping everybody together. And um, yeah, just making sure everyone was safe. And it was, it was, pretty cool because our battalion chief this year, he had us read um, Extreme Ownership, how U.S. Navy SEALs uh, lead and win. And I think uh, I think you said you had read that book too. Yeah. And, uh, and anyways, <laughs> and so I guess one of the things that I got out of that book, um, one of the quotes that I always liked was uh, implementing extreme ownership requires checking your ego and operating with a high degree of humility, admitting mistakes, taking ownership, and developing a plan to overcome challenges are integral to any successful team. And I think that was a, you know, that was a huge point for me because, um, you know, working with these inmate crews, yeah, we want to portray ourselves as, you know, professional, we know what we're doing, but at the same time, you got to check that ego. You know, you got to make sure that you're not uh, getting over your head just to, you know, prove a point. Um, humility, admitting mistakes. It's not the easiest to do, but as a leader, if you do make a mistake, that's just something that you've got to, got to go with. You know, when we do our after action reports, we talk about what happened and, you know, basically anything that's happened, it comes back on the leadership, you know, because we were the ones that were directing their workflow, basically. Um, so yeah, just just uh, admitting your mistakes and owning up to them. I mean, that's a huge thing. That that definitely gains the respect of anybody out there on the fire line. You know, you're just not not a know it all. Just oh yeah, that wasn't a mistake. I didn't do that. No, just own up to it. It's all a team. The only way you're going to get better is uh, constructive criticism, as 
uh, you know, what, what we call it out there. And um, we're always learning. Uh, there's never a day where you're not going to learn something out there on the fire line. And so that's another important leadership quality is, you know, even though you're leading, you need to learn, learn from, from your crews as well. Yeah. I love it, man. And, and I feel like the, like to me, communication is so critical and we talk about that all the time. And, and, but like you're saying, the extreme ownership book was, was a game changer for me as a leader in fire. And, and mm-hmm. I think it, like, it should just be required reading at this point. And obviously Jocko is just the man. I mean, he's just one of the best leaders that we can model. I mean, there ever has been. And, and one of the ones that I love is that there's, there's no bad teams, only bad leaders. And, yes. and I think that's so true yes. because there's really the lower guys, they just want to work. Like they just want to get the job done. They're having fun. They're outside. Like life is awesome. And it's up to the leaders on how the crew morale forms, how that storm norm form actually plays out. And all those, you know, little things that kind of nag at you throughout a fire role or fire season, even it's like all about the leaders and how they manage those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was definitely seen. Uh, you see that more through the end of the fire season, you know, when crews have been out uh, doing, you know, full two week tour or extended tours, you know, by the end of the season, yeah, team morale can kind of get a little, uh, little, little choppy. And, um, you know, we, we see that working with, you know, we work with different crews and at the end of the, towards the end of the season, we definitely seen some some issues going on with other crews, but what we did notice was their leaders and the leadership caught it right away. They made sure it didn't go any further. They addressed it at that point and got things taken care of. And that, again, like you said, going through communication. I mean, um, you know, you're working with these guys 14, 16 hours a day, getting minimal sleep, waking up, doing the same thing, seeing the same faces, you know, away from your family. Yeah. Stuff starts to eat at you. And that's what was starting to happen with some of the crews that we've noticed out on the line this year. And, um, like I said, their crew bosses, they, they put a stop to it because they knew as soon as one person started bringing down the morale, the rest of the team's morale was going to start coming down with them. And that's just not, not feasible on a fire incident or any incident for that matter is you, everyone has to be on the same page working together no matter how difficult it is and as a leader i mean that's something that you've got to be able to handle at a moment's notice and you've got to recognize that you know you got a couple guys in your squad that are starting to get a little chippy with each other or you know kind of doing the bare minimum with their job and everyone else is working working their butts off Leaders got to know that you've got to see that and recognize that, or it just starts, you know, degrading your entire team. And so by recognizing that, I mean, what we've seen out there is they joined them up in a big circle said, all right, this is what I see what's going on. I need you guys to talk it out right now. So they sat there and talked it out. And this was, this was after, uh, this wasn't on the fire line, obviously. Um, This was back at camp, but yeah, they got it worked out. And the next day you wouldn't even, wouldn't even have known that anything had gone on. So that leader, he just, you know, stepped in, he did what he needed to do to be a leader, 
to lead those guys and keep them motivated and keep them going. And that's one thing that, you know, we did with our crews at the end of every day, we told them, Hey, you know, this is, it's tough work. You know, we're out here with you guys doing the same thing, seeing the same people, but you know, we just commended them for their job that they were doing, kept them motivated. And that's what really, I think that's what really helped was letting these guys know that their work was not going unnoticed, that they were doing a good job. And if they did have any issues, they didn't have a problem bringing them up to us. We'd address it and we'd move on. So uh, team cohesion is definitely uh, a big factor in uh, any any fire ground incident, I guess. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, going back to your story there, I think something, it took me a, a couple of years to learn and once I got into a leadership role, but it really was, you know, like you said, when there's something that comes up and dealing with it right then, because I've seen it so many times on so many crews, so many different places and districts, it's like, if there's an argument that's going on, then you're just like, well, maybe they'll just deal with it by themselves. And then it's right. like a month later and it gets worse. Now there's three or four people. And then by the mm-hmm. end of the season, it's like the whole crew is fighting. And it's just like, if that leader would have just said something and dealt with it right then and there, like in front of everybody, or maybe in a private setting, it would have been nipped in the bud, if you will, or totally mm-hmm. just dissolved right then and there. And it wouldn't have been able to flower into such a huge deal. And then the crew gets like a bad eval or somebody gets a bad eval or there's like this major argument at the AAR or something, you know, there's, it just goes so much farther instead of just dealing it right then and there. And that's, that's hard as a leader to call people out to tell them yep. they can do better or to give constructive criticism. It's tough. It really is hard. Mm-hmm. And that's uh that's one thing that I've had to learn over the years um, is, you know, stepping up and being able to do those things because like you said before i got put into a leadership role you know i just i'd watch it i'd see it happening i'm like well they're adults you know they they'll figure it out one way or the other but that's not how it works you know if if it's not brought up it just kind of keeps smoldering and smoldering until all of a sudden boom it just blows up and then then it's in a worse place it would have been if you would have just nipped it in the bud there. And so stepping up, um, it's not always the, not always the easiest thing to do. I mean, whether you're, you know, I mean, everyone on your crews, your best, uh, best friend at the time, you know, you, as a leader, you have got to set those boundaries and make sure that the team as a whole is functioning. Um, like that saying always goes, you know, you're only, you're only as strong as your weakest person. You know, so that's something, something leaderships or leaders definitely have to uh, look for and recognize because it can, it can definitely ruin good crews if it drags out. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And, and, you know, I've seen it happen of somebody throwing a chainsaw down the hill or, you know, booting a lunch across, you know, camp or something. You're just like, oh my gosh, what is going on? You know, it's like, totally, we gotta just yeah, get out, of, get out of after, you know, get after it early, you know, before it gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. And, and so I want to shift gears a little bit and, and kind of talk about, um, you know, you come from the structure world a little bit and, and the wildland fire, but like, what's the, have you noticed any like mental health challenges in, in the wildland fire community um, as you've, as you've grown into the wildland fire role? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to notice because 
it seems like, you know, anyone in the fire service or even emergency services put on a face, you know, that we deal with what we got to deal with and we're good with it and we're okay and we're not affected. But, you know, being in the wildland and, you know, just fire service in general, you definitely can see a change in people, you know, after certain incidents, um, you know, after the fire season, definitely with the crews, you know, you're, you're going a hundred, hundred miles an hour all season. And then when it's over, you don't have anything to do. So they're just stuck at home. And, um, they, I guess they just kind of get uh, depressed and, um, don't really know, know how to handle that stuff. You know, they don't have their crews with them to talk to, even though we're always available, you know, the crews never, never go away, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a mental health crisis within the wildland fire service. Yeah. And I think like what you're getting at is, I guess the, what I call it is, is the seasonality, right? It's like, you're, you're going a hundred miles an hour. And then, like you said, season's over. And it's like, sometimes you go from a role to being laid off immediately. And it's just like, mm -hmm. Whoa, what do I do yeah. now? And there really is an integration period or a period of like, readjusting because home life there is no adrenaline there's no nothing that's gonna get your excitement up even though you're kind of you know at least for me I always feel like I'm locked into that like full throttle extreme adrenaline rush for at least a couple of weeks before I kind of I gotta mm -hmm. really dial things back and do some meditation and journaling and that's like that's just me you know and I know there's other people that have that and sometimes it gets pretty extreme out there with and the seasonality is really rough on some people and some people it doesn't bother them at all. So it's so interesting because, um, you know, I think the November, December time of year is kind of when that is at its peak, that seasonality, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, like I said, the, the job that I work for, um, I'm full-time employed, so I don't have that layoff period, but our, you know, our fire season does end after that we're doing fire rehab slash burning different projects like that but you know about a month after the fire season ends you definitely can see a change in people's attitudes towards you know working or the job or they're just getting irritated easier and I think that's that's a lot of it is they're go 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 all summer and then all of a sudden just abrupt stop there's no excitement it's the same repetitive job day after day so yeah, it, it definitely takes a toll on on the mental health of, of everybody like that. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I mean, is there any other challenges that you've experienced or that you've noticed besides the seasonality? Um, I think I know I've seen a lot on um you know social media on the different uh, pages that I follow, wildland and structure. Um, a lot of people do have um, troubles with, you know, their home life, with their relationships, because I mean, in all honesty, your, your summers are, you're committed to, you know, your crew, you know, you're not out with your family, enjoying the summer vacation, doing things like that. And so it definitely takes a toll at home. And just some of the attitudes I've seen from certain people, you know, that, um, you know, I've seen some people say, you know, well, if they don't understand your job or anything, then they're not free. You need to, you need to get out of there. 
you know, that's completely the opposite. I mean, if, if our instructors thought that same way when we first started fire, you know, if they don't understand anything, nah, get rid of them. They're done. We wouldn't have any firefighters out there. And so, I don't know. I just encourage people to not, you know, to really uh, strive for those relationships when they are home, because, you know, if, if they're worth it to you, they definitely need to be worked out. Not just, well, this is my life. This is how things are. If you don't like it, deal with it type of attitude. And I see that a lot. And it just, it's kind of disheartening. Cause like, that's not kind of gives a, the fire service a bad name because I mean, our spouses, they might not know what we go through, you know, the different challenges and stresses that we go through, but that doesn't mean, you know, we just pack up the bags and try to find someone else. You know, we got to definitely got to just work through it. Cause that's, I mean, that's our strength. You know, when we, when we get home, we have someone to come home to talk to. Um, and that definitely helps, you know, with the, the mental health situation as well. You know, you're not coming home alone, you know, just, stoved up inside the house all winter long yeah it's so true in those relationships i think the further along i got in my career the more i realized exactly what you're saying of you know the relationships the family is that's that's what's important like the job should be secondary but i think it's so easy to be you know so identity driven and so identity attached to you know i'm a firefighter this is who i am but in mm -hmm. making that family secondary and, and it's a huge problem you know and, and when those relationships dry up because of that attitude then it's you know maybe your relationship is with a bottle and that's not really where anybody wants to be right and and so it's i totally agree with you that's a big one is is the relationships and you know it's i think the divorce rate is way higher in the fire service than you know uh, average people and yeah it's huge so is there is there anywhere else you want to go today? Is there any other questions I haven't asked you that I could have? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we, I think we pretty much, you know, kind of hit all, all the topics this afternoon. Like I said, it's just, you know, whether it's um, the leadership, the mental health or relationships, I mean, there's, there's many avenues out there to, to, uh, you know, get input or get help or to further your career. I mean, take the opportunity to do all those things. You know, it's all, it's all important to um, not only yourself, your family, but also the fire service. You know, we, we train so that way we can do an effective job. But with that, you know, we need to learn how to take care of ourselves as well. And also our families. Oh man, I love it. What an amazing message. And and do you want to share your, your Facebook link or anything like that so people can get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, just my first and last name. Um, find me on Facebook, uh, just Cody Snodgrass. Um, like I said, if anyone has questions or whatever, feel free to message me or just need to talk. You know, we're always, we're always here for each other and that's what we need to, we need to strive to do, help each other out. And, you know, we definitely need to, uh, defeat this stigmatism for you know the there's no mental health issues in the fire service we need to get rid of that because that's i think is ultimately what is causing us to lose so many brothers and sisters um, through depression and you know alcohol abuse substance abuses different things like that so definitely don't feel uh scared to reach out i mean i definitely uh enjoy talking to people and helping them out the best i can with 
uh, any advice or anything like that. So. Oh man, thank you. Such, such an awesome message. And, and so true, you know, we really got to be brothers and sisters in this mental health challenge that we're all going through. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you so much for uh, everything you do. And, and it sounds like you're an amazing leader and just uh, great work out there. And thank you. And, and uh, you can find me at mountainmindtricks.com and Thomas M. Worm on Facebook and Mountain Mind Tricks on Instagram. And we'll uh, see you on the next podcast. And I just encourage you to go out there and find your sacred ancestry because whatever you think you are, you're so much more than that. Definitely.